You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot back in your life. It's been a long time. I think it's over two weeks since we had a live show. Uh, I'm so excited. You know, our stretch, uh, our final stretch run towards the NFL draft. Ryan Talbot, welcome back. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Two weeks in Arizona. Great weather, but I am Pumped to be back on Shout with you, Matt. Pumped to be talking about uh, this Bills roster and obviously the NFL draft, which is less than two weeks away. It's amazing how quickly the draft sneaks up on you as we're, you know, doing all this stuff. I mean, the Bills had such an active free agency period. I think we were going in there and it was almost about quelling expectations for Bills fans when it came to free agency. And then it was just an explosion. Obviously, the Von Miller deal being uh, the biggest move of the offseason, maybe for any team. I think it's, you know, obviously the quarterback, take quarterbacks out of the, out of the play. And that's one of the top moves in the, in the, in the league this offseason, at least in terms of shock value, because, you know, Chandler Jones was a free agent. Uh, I think there was a couple, you know, different guys in the mix, uh, some other big ticket items, but Von Miller going to the Buffalo Bills was a huge move as we sit here. Cause it's been a while since we talked 30,000 foot view as you look at the bills if you as you look at Brandon Bean maybe what's changed since the last time we've talked in terms of how you think this could all play out in terms of approach for the bills in the draft well I I think his approach has been consistent since day one of taking the job he's going to take the best player available regardless of position but looking over this roster looking at how various mock drafts has fallen uh, that I've looked at, I still come down to two positions, Matt, wide receiver and cornerback. And, you know, one really isn't a major need, and in, in that's that being wide receiver. Uh, and cornerback is because they really haven't done anything to address that position in free agency. They lost Levi Wallace. But that just goes back to what I said. Brandon Bean is not going to be shy about taking a wide receiver in round one if that is truly their best player available. So, that, that 30,000 foot view, so to speak, it, it really hasn't changed despite them being so active in free agency. What about you? 
Same type of deal. And I know that Brandon Bean doesn't go into any draft with a position circled, you know, that they have to address, especially early on in the draft. But this this feels like a draft where maybe they veer away from traditional logic just because of the way that this roster has been built and what they're kind of waiting on. It's like they've done all of this work in free agency already. They're probably going to sign a cornerback at some time, a veteran of some sort. They're probably going to sign another player on the offensive line, draft a couple guys. But if you're talking about one potential position that I think could really change the dynamic of a room, I think wide receiver is definitely that, but I'm talking about like a top tier cornerback. I think can really, I think excite bills fans. I actually went back. This is kind of a fun exercise. I don't think we maybe do this enough, or at least I don't. I went back and kind of looked at Tredavious white's draft profile. And I thought this was something that we can maybe talk about right off the top. You know, he ends up going the 27th pick overall the year that he went he had a 6.7 uh, grade from Lance Zierlein, who if you don't read his stuff over on NFL.com, he's got he's been doing this a long time. I love his breakdowns, his draft profiles. Trey White ran a 4.47 40-yard da- dash. He had 32 and one-eighth inch arms, which I think is a real key. When you're talking about some of the cornerbacks potentially the Bills could be looking at, that's the kind of indicator for me that – is going to push them over the top. That's one of the reasons why I'm not so high on like a Trent McDuffie who falls under that threshold. Whereas opposed to guys with longer are in a perfect world, if they can get up high enough, I still think sauce Gardner would be the dream scenario. We're going to go into my mock draft here in a little while where the bills do get a a cornerback early, but what do you think, Ryan? And maybe we'll talk about this in, in a future exercise, but sauce Gardner, you know, where do you fall on him? And what do you think it would take? Because getting up into the top 10 is probably going to cost a future first round pick. And I just don't know if that won't be too rich for Brandon Bean's blood, if you will. Yeah. And listen, it would cost a future first, but I don't think it's going to cost as much as it would in a traditional year, because in most years, Matt, there are two or three quarterbacks that teams covet that they're trying to trade up for, make plays for, this is not a very strong quarterback class. You know, you're, you're talking uh, about uh, Willis being a first round pick. There's some talk about two other guys maybe falling into the first round, but there's there's not even a surefire first round pick in this class. It actually reminds me a lot of the uh, EJ Manuel Geno Smith draft class where uh, no one really necessarily wows you or jumps off the page. And that doesn't mean that one of these quarterbacks from this draft class won't end up being a franchise quarterback. I don't want to, Uh, disrespect them because no one really from that draft class did. Uh, But I think that it would cost you a future first. It would cost you a day two pick, and it might cost you uh, even an additional day three pick thrown in there. So if the Bills are comfortable with that, if Brandon Bean sits there and is sold on Sauce Gardner and says, this guy is going to be a star in the league, is it worth trading a future first round pick? In my opinion, yes. Yes, it is. Because you would get that superstar on a rookie contract for five years opposite Trey White when you have all these other large contracts already on the books. And yes, I get that the seller cap's going up every year and the bills are going to figure out ways to be A-OK in that regard. But it never hurts to add an impact player like that if it's if it's something you're able to. And what's interesting, last thing I'll I'll say before throwing it back to you is Albert Breer of sportsillustrated.com had an article out yesterday talking about what he's hearing about the top 12 picks. 
and he says that he's pretty confident that both New York teams are trying to trade one of their picks in the top 10 mm-hmm. to get a, a first round pick next year where the quarterback class uh, or where the draft class just in general is supposed to be better because obviously the Jets do have someone they think is their franchise quarterback, but the Giants are in a completely different boat. So would not be surprised whatsoever if Brandon Bean called up Joe Shane and said, hey, listen, what's it going to take to get that second first round pick that you have in the top 10 if a sauce Gardner were to fall to that spot? Looking at the draft profile of Gardner, Trey Wright, like I mentioned, he ran a four four seven, um, and actually, which I thought was super interesting, one of the first things that uh, Zierlein wrote about Trey White back in twenty seventeen was that he thinks that his best fit would be in a in a scheme where you know any version of of a, of a heavy man defense, which it's gone the other way for Trey White, right? Like that's one of the things that I think year to year we take a, a really big look at. How does a guy's skill set fit? into how the Bills play defense, I think at the end of the day, they want good football players. And it goes back to Levi Wallace, who played predominantly press man in college as well. I think it comes down to getting an elite player. And I think if the Bills are going to pull the trigger on corner in the first round, it's going to have to be via trade-up. And that's why I don't have them doing it in the mock. But if you look at Sox, or uh, Sauce's um, uh, draft profile over at NFL.com, 6.72 grade. So just a little shade above Trey White. He comes in at 6'3. Uh, Trey is 5'11. So he's obviously a bit taller, 200 pounds, about 10, 10 pounds heavier than Trey was when he got drafted. He has 33 in half inch arms, Ryan. Talk about unbelievable mm-hmm. wingspan for the position. This is like a dream scenario. And like we've talked so much this offseason about different trade candidates or free agent targets for the Bills at cornerback. James Bradbury was obviously one that we consistently brought up. To me, if you're going to give up assets for a player at this position, to me, it makes the most sense to go and get an elite player in the draft. And that way you have them on a cost controlled contract for the next five years. If you, if you go out and trade for James Bradbury, sure, you get a really good cornerback, a proven NFL cornerback, but you're going to have to pay the price for that. I think going after a guy like Gardner, even if it, you have to end up giving up maybe an additional pickup this year, next year's first round pick. I know that Brandon Bean doesn't want to do that, but as we get closer here, I wanted to talk about this at the top because I think this is a really important piece to all of this. And maybe you'll push back here. I don't think Brandon Bean would trade up for any other position other than cornerback in this draft. That's the, that's the feeling that I have going into it. I know you can probably make an argument for wide receiver with some of the top guys in this class. I mean, I know a lot of people like Garrett Wilson, uh, the other Ohio State run, uh, wide receiver. Obviously, I had the Bills taking Chris Olave. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Jamison Williams is all of a sudden the draft buzz on him is, is, kind of changing here now where he's kind of flying up draft boards and people are expecting him to maybe get drafted closer to what probably would have happened before the injury. There's so much intrigue around how this could all play out. And that's what this next two weeks is all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And no, I think you're right. I don't think there is another position, so to speak, that they would trade up for because as good as those wide receivers that you mentioned potentially going in the top 10, top 15, this is still a very deep wide receiver class where I think you can get an impact guy round three, round four, um, and obviously round two and or late in round one. So that's kind of uh, off the board in terms of going all out for that. And listen, there there are some really good players in this draft class. There's a, a really good safety from Notre Dame that I love that I could see the Bills being in love with too, but they have a really good safety tandem still. So that's not something mm-hmm. I see them doing. O-line, 
Um, I, I think they like their own line. They're not going to jump up there for any kind of guard. They, they're set at tackle. So, no, I, I agree with you completely. It would have to be cornerback. And at the end of the day, the reason I think that Brandon Bean would do it now, it, there's two reasons. One, the Super Bowl window. As much as I feel it will always be open as long as they have Josh Allen, there's something to be said about striking while the iron is hot, while you have all these guys in their prime, which the, the Bills currently do, uh, in making a move like that. And two, if you're confident in this roster, which they have every reason to be, you're talking about a pick that's most likely going to be in the mid to late 20s or realistically pick number 32 uh, in next year's draft, that first rounder that you'd have to give up in addition to the one that you have this year. So by all means, if I'm Brandon Bean, I'm thinking, yeah, this this roster is built to win it all this year. If we get that missing piece, we're essentially trading away a really late first rounder. So I think this is the year, if there ever was one, for the Bills to trade up. Great stuff uh, there, Ryan. I'm actually... I, the wheels are already turning in my head. I think mock mock draft 2.0 is going to be some type of trade up for Sauce Gardner to see how it would uh, impact this year's draft and maybe some future drafts. Uh, but let's get to this first mock draft. I I, do, I dropped it on Thursday. Uh, a lot of great conversation around it on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, we were talking about this before the show. They just released this new feature. It's called uh, Twitter Communities, where you can kind of build your own little community within you know, almost like a subreddit, like, right, if you will, uh, to, you know, kind of centralize the conversation around one topic, which for us is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. So we're thinking about uh, doing that. Send us a note, drop us a line. Uh, if you'd be interested, we'll, we'll maybe uh, uh, create one of those communities. Something that you think would be fun, huh, right? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Listen, I've seen some uh, other websites, some podcasts doing it. I think it's a great place for fans to uh, interact, one, with us, because we would see everything that gets posted there. Um, Sometimes you miss a post. Sometimes you don't see something that comes across your timeline where we can just go right in there and see everything. If you have a question for an upcoming Shout podcast and it's Sunday and we're not going on until Wednesday, you put it in there and then that's something we can access over uh, those next few days and make sure that we get that question answered. I I like that sense of community. I like that it's something where the the, the supporters of Shout can interact with us even more. So I'm all for it. And I'm really looking forward to maybe building that as soon as tonight, Matt. Yeah, we are up to over 5,500 subscribers and Rick Rarick uh, is one of our first. And so thank you so much to all of our faithful Scott Maranto. Obviously uh, he liked uh, the first two picks of my mock draft hated picks. Well, what happened with three versus through eight, which we'll get into, but quiet down. Go eat your uh, barbecue honey mustard wings that I put you on the other day from Elmo's. Uh, Scott actually met, uh, met me out at Elmo's. I introduced him to the best wing in Buffalo. That's my that's my take on it anyway. But yeah, quiet down and go, go eat your wings and, and we'll talk about my picks here uh, over the next hour. Uh, the first mock draft, it's an actual seven rounder, but I want to take you through the first 24 picks just to give you some of the thinking and I want Ryan to pick some holes in it and and maybe anything that he would have done a little bit differently. So we start off at the top with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, shocking a lot of people, I think taking Trayvon Walker, the edge rusher out of Georgia. He has been skyrocketing for months now. Uh, It's kind of been this slow climb and now there's a lot of uh, those that are pretty plugged in that think that he has a really solid chance to be the first overall pick. And what's funny about Walker, I, was, I actually heard this on a podcast. If you would have done at the end of the college season, put in a bet on who would go number one overall in most sports book, books, Trayvon Walker wasn't even listed yet. 
And so this has been an unbelievable kind of climb. At two, it goes Aiden Hutchinson, the head rusher from Detroit. The Houston Texans go Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm not buying into the the the, the super uh, depleted stock of Thibodeau. I think edge rusher, uh, premier edge rusher, are still uh, that you know value pick, if you will, because they're so rare. Thibodeau lands with the Houston Texans at three, which I kind of thought was a little bit funny because of Jadavian Clowney. They've they've obviously been the two prospects have been compared a little bit. Uh, Iki Aquanu, the offensive tackle, goes to the Jets. The Giants follow up with Evan Neal. Uh, the other uh, top offensive tackle. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers shake up the draft. They trade up to number six. They take Malik Willis. Sauce Gardner goes at seven to the New York Giants. The Atlanta Falcons take Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher out of Florida State. The Seattle Seahawks go cornerback, Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU. And then the Jets finish off the top 10 by taking the first receiver, Garrett Wilson, out of Ohio State. First thoughts with that, with the way that shakes out here in the top 10 right well, first thoughts, you know, kudos to the draft network because that's a pretty accurate board at, in terms of this point in time of how I could see things falling. I think that Hutchinson. Oh, wait a second. Oh, wait a second. That wasn't the draft network. Was that, that was not? this guy? That was this oh, guy right here. You plugged him in. Yeah, oh, I plugged him in. I, I plugged him like in. That, oh, no. That, I did a seven round manual. Okay. This was, this was not like a, uh, this was not like a, uh, simulated draft this was a intense process i think i overall for this mock i put in probably about 12 hours oh that's a lot of work for for a mock draft and you know we're going to probably do two or three more by the time draft night rolls around but no really accurate walker what's interesting to me you already mentioned he's skyrocketed but the ceiling is just unbelievably high for this person so if you believe in your coaching staff if you're jacksonville I can see why they would potentially go number one there. But I also think that they would they would make a mistake if they didn't go with Hutchinson. I think that he is also someone that has a higher a high ceiling in general, but he's also more polished. You know what you're going to get. I, I hate to use the word safer pick because in the draft, no pick is truly safe. We've learned that over the years. Uh, but I really do like him in, in terms of what he can be. The rest of that first round, though, it makes a lot of sense. The the Jets and Giants have both been linked to offensive linemen as of late. I think that's the best strategy you can have for a young quarterback in terms of uh, Zach Wilson in, in New York, protect him, and then obviously build the parts around him. They already have a really nice slot receiver there who's go, who going into his second year. So they do have a weapon for him already. You can add more in round two. Um, so there's something to be said about that. And then the Steelers trading up for Malik Willis of those top 10 picks, that makes the most sense to me. They're going to uh, give Mitch Trubisky a chance to start, obviously, this year. He he is going to start and, and be their week one starter. But they did not really commit to him based on that contract that they gave him. And if they are sold on Malik Willis, by all means, they should get aggressive and trade up. That's a team that was in, you know, the Super Bowl contention for over a decade when Roethlisberger was in his prime. They know and understand the importance of having a franchise quarterback. Now it all comes down to whether or not they're sold on it. So really hard to pick any holes on those top 10 picks, Matt. The cool thing potentially for the Steelers, too, in that scenario, because I like that fit for Mitchell Trubisky going there to try to, you know, prove what he can do, have a job 
have some weapons and, and go out there and try to maybe earn his next big deal. I know it's a two-year deal, but we'll see what happens with Pittsburgh. But what it could do is if they get a guy that they really like, like a Malik Willis, they, they can install him and do what the Bills weren't able to do with Josh Allen. They didn't have a Mitchell Trubisky at the time that can kind of take the reins in year one and take some of the pressure off of the rookie quarterback and let him kind of develop a little bit slowly, more slowly. It was Josh Allen that was got kind of had to be thrown right into the fire. So I thought, uh, you know, it, that, that to me is the Malik Willis fit for him, unless they really like maybe Desmond Ritter, who I think is another guy that's kind of slowly uh, building some momentum here. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But the big takeaway for me in the first in, in the top 10 is two corners off the board like that. Right. And so now you're looking at no matter how you kind of uh, splice these up, there is a slight drop off, I think, after those top two guys. And so now you're looking at a Trent McDuffie who ends up going a few picks later. So uh, actually uh, not a few picks later, eight picks later. So we'll talk about the strategy here. So the Washington uh, commanders take Drake London, the wide receiver out of USC. Minnesota Vikings go Jordan Davis, uh, defensive mm-hmm. tackle out of Georgia. The Houston Texans take Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. The Baltimore Ravens take Charles Cross, offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. The Philadelphia Eagles take Tyler Lindenbaum, uh, Jason Kelsey's uh, replacement center out of Iowa. The Chiefs trade up. They have a couple picks in this year's draft after the Tyreek Hill uh, deal first rounders to play with. They trade up and get Jamison Williams, who I think a lot of people think could be the next iteration of playmaker in that offense. And then the chargers take uh, Trevor Penning, which I think most people are mocking them a tackle at that spot, continue to build around uh, Justin Herbert. And then McDuffie goes to the Philadelphia Eagles at 18. I guess we can have this conversation here. You're Brandon Bean and you're watching this playoff. The top two go out in the first 10 and you decide not to trade up in that range, but you know, you're gonna have to get up there to get probably one or the other, but definitely sauce Gardner. As you get to 14, 15, 16, are you thinking about trading up for McDuffie? What do you think about him? Because I have my thoughts on him, but I, I also have thoughts why, and I like him. I like him actually a really a lot, especially the, the person. But I don't know if that's the player that you're going to give up draft capital to move up. What are your thoughts on that? No, he, he's not, in my opinion, because you're. I feel like with Sauce Gardner, the, there's a certain tier that he's going to be in right when he steps in week one in, in this league. I think Stingley has the talent to be in that tier as well. You're talking about a drop-off, though, when you get to the, that next level, the McDuffies of this draft. And he's still a very, I think he can be a very good cornerback in this league. But he's not someone I'm giving up a first-round pick for in addition to this year's pick to move up to the teens. Uh, he's not someone I'm giving up a ton of draft capital for as much as it may be a need. I, I think that at that point, uh, if those two two guys go off the board in the top 10, you're just kind of going to sit there and wait it out for the best player available on your board and maybe ends up being a cornerback. There are other guys in this draft class. Uh, there are guys that are slipping down the draft board that I still think are going to be good fits for the Bills, someone that you have in your mock draft in round two. So it, it is going to be interesting. But no, he is not someone I'm, I'm making a, a drastic move for just because, like I said, just like with any other position, Matt, there's a an elite tier in terms of that prospect and what he can become. And then there's that next tier down. And I think McDuffie's part of that next tier down. Exactly. And I think that's why uh, you get to 18, the Philadelphia Eagles pulled the trigger and maybe, you know, to Scott's point, uh, I, I put his comment in the chat there. Uh, McDuffie maybe could even, you know, uh, 
fall to the second round, which I think would be really interesting. Uh, the little run, uh, mini run on quarterbacks then at 19 and 20, the Saints take Kenny Pickett and the Carolina pa- Panthers take Desmond Ritter uh, out of Cincinnati. Uh, 21, the New England Patriots could go a bunch of different ways. They could probably go receiver here. Uh, Chris Olave to the Patriots makes a ton of sense. I had them go linebacker because they're losing a lot of pieces on their defense. And Devin Lloyd at this, at this spot uh, is somebody that I think makes a lot of sense. Obviously, we'll see. Uh, so then 22 real quick, George Karloftis, edge rusher out of Purdue. The Arizona Cardinals, uh, probably a little bit of a surprise. Kenneth Walker, running back out of Michigan State. They uh, take the first running back off the board. And then the Dallas Cowboys replace Randy Gregory with Arnold uh, Getty. I don't know if I can even say his name right. Edge rusher out of Penn State. And that leaves the Bills with plenty of options here, Ryan. I wrote a little bit about my logic here, but they have Chris Olave, uh, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. Traylon Burks, wide receiver out of Arkansas. The top guard in the draft, Zion Johnson, which I think is also intriguing and worth a conversation uh, out of Boston College. And then somebody that's got, got has been mocked to them quite a bit over the last few weeks, including uh, Mel Kuyper Jr.'s latest, and that's Daxton Hill, listed as a, as a safety out of Michigan, but also has that flexibility to play corner. In this spot, I give the Bills Olave, and I'll talk a little bit about why I did that. Who who are you maybe interested in? And maybe maybe I didn't even name the person that you might be thinking about in this spot as well. No, that spot, Olave, I, I loved the pick. Um, if I was going away from wide receiver, though, I think Zion Johnson makes a ton of sense uh, just because of the importance of the offensive line play in front of Josh Allen. It, I think that they got better as the year went on last year. Obviously, when they put in Ryan Bates, it got better there, um, and they kind of merged. And they, they brought in a new O-line coach, and Aaron Cromer, who is going to undoubtedly – do what he's done throughout his career and help these O-lines improve. But you you have a veteran that you signed to a one-year deal to come in. You do have Ryan Bates for four years, uh, but there's still limited tape on him. So if you can get someone that you feel is the top guard in this draft, and by, you know, all, by all draft experts, Zion Johnson is, I wouldn't hate that pick because the one thing Josh Allen has done so well these last few years when he's been playing at an elite level is he's made the O-line look better than what they truly have been because he makes that one guy miss. It's when two or three guys get through that he hasn't been able to, to elude that pressure. Uh, you go back to, to week one against Pittsburgh when they were, they were getting guys in from, you know, two or three different spots, but Allen can make the initial man miss. And that makes this offensive line look better than what it has been. So if you feel like Johnson is someone that, um, helps you improve now and down the road, then I wouldn't be opposed to them going that direction. I'm out on any kind of running backs at 25. I'm just not uh, a running back in the first round kind of guy. There's there's a you know two guys that are in play to be first round picks at that position. I, I wouldn't be shocked though if you, both of them fell out of the first round altogether. Uh, and, and then the wide receivers you mentioned, it's it's funny. Like I was saying, I'm not trading up for a receiver. If I can possibly get an Olave, if I can possibly get a Burks, uh, Dotson, I like him a lot too. And Watson, he's been a, he has been a riser in a lot of mock drafts. He was someone that I had in my second mock draft, being a second round pick of the Bills, and that's looking like there's an, a no shot scenario of that now, based on the way that he's skyrocketing as well as this draft approaches. 
Yeah, I'm interested in all of it. Just uh, conceptually, what Brandon Bean is thinking here and where these guys kind of stack up on his board, because there's so many different options. You know, a lot of people, you know, if you do a lot of these mock draft machines, like the draft network specifically, Andrew Booth out of Clemson is going like mid first round. Right. But obviously we're getting some noise out there about potential medical issues or medical concerns. I could, I should say with the injuries that he's had and that he's kind of fallen out of the first round. I think I heard Benjamin Solak out of the ringer. He said that on a radio hit this week in Buffalo, because uh, obviously everybody's talking about Andrew Booth for the for for the Bills. They've been talking about him for months. The Daxon Hill conversation is an interesting one. He's one that when you have the kind of p- position flex that he has and the way that people talk about him at both positions, that jumps out at you, right? Because it's not every day that you have a guy that plays safety that so many people are willing to say, Stamp it. Put him in at cornerback too. He'll he'll do the job as long as you need him to do it there. That that's crazy. That's the kind of weapon that I think Sean McDermott probably values and wants in his defense, similar to a Kyle Hamilton. Because I think Hamilton a little bit different. He's not going to be playing outside corner in the NFL. But people are saying like, listen, even if you don't need a safety, draft Kyle Hamilton, make him a hybrid, big nickel type of guy, get him in the box, have him play some linebacker. He's just a football player that you want in the field. I think that's what some of the best defenses specifically over the last like five to six years, the really good ones have found a way to find really good players and put them in really unique spots. I think Kyle Duggar is an example of that. When When the Patriots defense was at its best last year, Kyle Duggar was a weapon, an assassin for them on that defense. Remember, when we got to the to the end of the season and he was banged up, I think he dealt with COVID, he had an injury, their defense didn't look the same. And that's a second-year safety, a kind of movable chess piece. I think I think Sean McDermott can use one of those. Yeah, no, it's a valid point. Hill Hill is a very good player uh, if that's something that you're looking to do at the end of round one. We already mentioned the safety duo uh, that they have. We know that Jordan Poyer wants to sign an extension here and finish his career as a member of the Bills. They have Micah Hyde. Uh, but there are going to run a lot of packages where you might want to have someone that could play a big nickel, where you can have an option in terms of a slot cornerback if something were to happen to Taron Johnson or someone that has the versatility to play outside cornerback. And that's something that Daxton Hill can do. He can play all three spots. Uh, and, and that's rare in today's NFL. My only question would be about that is where are you going to stick him year one? Because you don't want him training at all three spots. I wouldn't think as a rookie, I think that's something that as his comfort zone in the NFL increases, he gets more comfortable with playing that's when you then say, okay, we haven't really comfortable in X role. Let's get him used to playing uh, cornerback now. Or if he's already doing corner, let's get him used to safety because we might need him there. If you put too much on his plate at first, he could really struggle in that regard. But yes, versatility is something that the Bills have always coveted. So it would not surprise me whatsoever if Hill was in play as well. So I go with Olave, Olave over uh, Traylon Burks. And I think that's an interesting conversation side conversation to have here what flavor of receiver do you want because Burks is obviously uh, a much bigger player I mean 6'3 225 33 and a half inch arms nine and seven eight uh, inch hands uh, completely different style of player than Olave is going to be he's more of that smooth 
route runner, probably not offering a ton after the catch. I think Burks is a little bit more of a physical player. Uh, the NFL conference, I mentioned it to you before we started, A.J. Brown uh, with a little bit more wiggle, says Lanzier line. He ran a 4.55 40-yard dash. Uh, Olave ran a 4.39. I just think that you can do more with an Olave and that's why I kind of went in that direction. And this goes back to something we've been talking about for weeks. I like the Gabriel Davis wide receiver two situation. I think if you take a, a weapon like Chris Olave, you can kind of put him in a bunch of different situations, have him sub in for Gabriel Davis when he needs a blow on the outside or Stefan Diggs, and then use him in the slot. I know that they have Jamison Crowder. I know that they have Isaiah McKenzie, but some of the best things that I saw on the highlight reels from Olave is stuff that he did working out of the slot. He's so smooth. And what stands out to me, and I think I mentioned this on a pod a few months ago, or weeks ago, He's one of these guys that like when the ball gets in his hands, sure, he doesn't have this uh, this uh tackle breaking ability really, but what he does have is this like really good feel for how to move his lower body. Kind of reminds me of Tyreek Hill without the top end speed. It's like he puts his body in a perfect situation to move as soon as the ball is in his hands, it's like he's shot out of a cannon. And I really like that. It's seamless and it's smooth. And I think that's why people talk about that so much when they look at his tape. But I really like this as an option because of all the different multiple things you can do with him. Yeah, listen, Olave, I like that you can play him at all three spots, most likely, like you said, if, if someone's tired, if there's an injury, this, that, or the other. Uh, but when it, you know, when it comes to the slot position in general, if I'm the Bills, I, I'm not shying away from adding a receiver at any point in this draft that maybe is more of a traditional slot receiver, a Kelvin Austin the third, for instance, on day two, because as good as Jameson Crowder has been in his career, as much of a yard after the catch threat as he's going to be out of the slot, something that Cole Beasley really wasn't. He's dealt with lower body injuries the last few years. And uh, for a receiver, you know how that can nag on them, that can keep them off the field. Isaiah McKenzie, he proved himself when given the opportunity last year. But, uh, you know, again, limited opportunities, limited film. What's he going to look like over a full 17 game season? Maybe he is the answer out of the slot. Well, time will tell. We will see. Uh, but the Bills really shouldn't even shy away from even a traditional slot receiver. If there's someone that they really like that's at the top of their board at any point. Olave obviously is more of an all around guy, uh, one, uh, a receiver that you can use in a variety of ways. You can use him as a weapon in general. Having him on the field is the same time as Gabriel Davis, Stefan Diggs, Dawson Knox, etc. Uh, would, would just give defenses an absolute fit, as would as would Burks and some of these other guys. But yeah, the, the, the Bills should not shy away from any receiver in this draft class if the right one falls into their laps day one, day two, or day three. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. So after the Bills take Olave and seeing how things shake out, Brandon Bean's talking a lot about this over the in the past few years about when the first round ends, they spend hours that night kind of going over what's left on the board and then watching very carefully as this thing plays out. And as the draft started and, and started going uh, in the second round, I had Brandon Bean eyes uh peeled looking for what's going on with Andrew Booth and he ends up going uh to the Bills in a trade up and let me bring this up so I can give everybody the exact details of it the Bills move up to pick number 36 uh so they didn't wait too long and they made a deal with Joe Shane's Giants uh they gave up the 
pick 57 in the second round, 89 in the third, and then 168 in the fifth to move up and select Andrew Booth. So then you get probably a guy that if there weren't medical concerns on Booth, and if he's still there, probably a first round grade on this guy. That's at least what I'm anticipating in this exercise. And so they go up, they get the wide receiver in the first, they get the cornerback in the second. It's Andrew Booth out of Clemson. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I, I love it for the value purpose of it. Uh, makes a lot of sense. The fact that he's falling is probably music to Brandon Bean's ears. Uh, if this is a cornerback that they really like, obviously. So, you know, he was he's one of their known top 30 visitors. The, the Bills get 30 guys that are brought in. And, and one of the main reasons you bring prospects in leading up to the draft is if there's medical issues. And that's been the, the thing with Andrew Booth. So Buffalo's medical staff, I'm sure, did a thorough look over uh, any kind of issues that he's had in his playing career at Clemson to see where he's at, what uh, how comfortable they are with him in terms of the future. And the, the Bills have a great facility. They've done better than any team, in my opinion, these last few years with dealing with injuries, keeping their guys healthy. So if that medical check went well, I think that the Bills would 100% be in play for Booth in round two if he falls down the draft board as anticipated. That, that You know, you, you also look at film with these guys, you pick their brains, you interview them, you tour the facilities. But in Booth's case, I'm pretty confident that the reason he was brought in was for medical purposes. You want the most up-to-date information as the draft approaches. And if the team's comfortable with it in round two, that's a slam dunk pick. It's funny. I'm, I'm sitting here talking about a mock that I did three days ago, and I can't stop thinking about the, the Sauce Gardner stuff now because I do really wonder if this is a situation with the eight draft picks where the Brandon Bean just gets super aggressive. And it's probably going to cost the first because – if you're Joe Shane, or even if you're, you know, I, I don't think um, uh, the Jets are willing to sit there and trade in division, uh, give a first, a top 10 pick to the Bills with what's happened uh, over the last uh, couple of years. But if they were to, you know, you need to kind of build up some ammunition in 2023 to be able to move up. And so I, I think that that would be super interesting. But the thought process here was very simple. By the time you got to the back end of that second round, the talent level at that position, it was just wasn't going to be what I think that they probably view Andrew Booth to be. I know there's some other guys out there. Kyler Gordon's a guy. Kyer Elam's a guy. I've heard, I've read some troubling things about Kyer Elam. I, I've really been picking through a bunch of different um, scouting reports on him. And one of the consistent things that I'm seeing is that he doesn't really want to tackle. Uh, it doesn't have that urgency to tackle or that desire to tackle. I think that, that could be a little bit of a deal breaker with him, even though he has that top end speed. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing that Sean McDermott, I think has, has said he covets more than anything else is sure tackling. And if you have someone that's hesitant whatsoever, I, I think that definitely knocks you down a peg no matter how good your other intangibles are. So, uh, you know, if that is truly the knock that the league has on him already or that the Bills truly feel about him, then no, I I agree completely. And I don't think that he would be in play in that uh, first round necessarily. Now, uh, again, some of these corners could fall into round two. Are you more willing to take a player like that in round two? Absolutely. Uh, last thing on, on the Sauce Gardner thing, you know, you, you mentioned it, Matt. They have so many picks this year. They saw two of their own draft picks get poached off the practice squad this year. Now, mind you, those were day three guys, uh, late picks. 
But Brandon Bean probably knows sitting here today that not every one of these draft picks that he currently has is going to make this roster. You're going to have a lot of guys already on this roster fighting to keep a, a spot on the, the uh, 53-man roster. So if there's ever a time to get aggressive, this is it. And for a guy like Sauce Gardner, if you are convinced he is a true number one cornerback, that would be huge for this defense to have two number one cornerbacks because uh, you already know what you have in Trey White. Um, and, and then to have that safety duo, to add the pass rusher in Von Miller, to have that linebacker duo that you you like so much, that makes this defense on paper so, so strong. If the offense keeps chugging along like they have, uh, you're going to have a, a secondary that's going to be ball hawking back there, creating even more turnovers. And it's kind of scary to think about how good this team could potentially be. So no third round pick for the Bills. We go right to the fourth round and at pick number one. 30, I had the Bills taking uh, guards, maybe some center uh, versatility. North Carolina's Joshua Azudo. Let me uh, read you uh, a quick snippet from Brandon Thorne, who uh, he does a lot of draft work for the Bleacher Report, but he has his own substack where basically he just, I think it's called the Trench Report. Uh, I might be uh, misrepresenting that, but whatever it is, it's phenomenal. He does really good deep dives on everything that happens offensive line-wise. He's got really good takes on um, defensive linemen as well. But listen to what he wrote about Azudo, who as he's kind of broke down his film, he's been a massive riser for Thorne over the draft process. And this is a guy that I really try to pay attention to what he uh, says. And also with Azudo, uh, something that I kind of compared uh, and contrasted, he's got a really similar size profile to Wyatt Teller from a couple of years ago. And that's why I kind of like this uh, because we know Brandon Bean selected him before trading him to the Browns. This is what Thorne wrote. Azuda excels as a zone run blocker with the initial quickness to cut off defenders shaded to either shoulder and to climb and intersect smaller targets in space off of combo blocks. Little nugget here. The Bills are expected to probably implement more zone run scheme with Aaron Cromer now as their offensive line coach. So something to, to think about here. Zudo has the athletic ability, length, hand fighting skills, and competitive toughness to carve out a role as a guard in the NFL, as well as the ability to kick outside to tackle in a pinch position flexibility. If he can learn to play with better lever- leverage and sustain blocks more consistently in the run game, he has the physical traits and demeanor to become a starter within his first contract. So this is a deft move because listen, I think we're all sitting here right now. There we go. Trench warfare newsletter. Thank you, Scott. Great read. I, I highly recommend subscribing to Brandon Thorne's newsletter. It's great. This is a situation where you probably have your starting five for next year, right? As we sit here right now, you have Roger Saffel in probably at left guard, Bates shifted over to right guard. But this is a situation where maybe you can get somebody in for some depth, some more depth. You're probably going to have Ike Butker back at some point. And then also, um, you know, they went out and got Greg Mance, who has a ton of uh, position flexibility. Every time I hear the word Mance, you know who I think of? Do you watch Game of Thrones? I don't. Get out, Ryan. <laughs> get out, Ryan. I'm, I'm just embarrassed. That's, that's, a, that's a 10 second timeout. Not watching Game of Thrones. I'm going to send a text message to him with my HBO credentials. By the time we have the next show, Ryan will be at least 10 episodes into Game of Thrones. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my plan here. Uh, but I think of Mance Raider. Anyway, that's, you know, side conversation. 
So I think that you you want to go out and probably get some interior line pieces in this draft to kind of bolster the depth. You've lost a couple guys. You you lost two starters from last season. John Feliciano started games, and Daryl Williams started all the games uh, of the season, either at right tackle or right guard when he moved in. You don't have those two guys. You have to kind of fill some holes. There's questions about Cody Ford. So if it's not a Zudo, who are some of this? maybe some day three targets for you or target uh, that you maybe have uh, into your offensive line, if you haven't. Oh, off the top of my head, I'm going to have to go back and uh, I'm not remember, so I have to go back and look at my mock draft. I know I threw that out. Um, of, I threw that out of the left field. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's all right. Ideas. But no, when when it comes to Azuto, what's interesting is it says if he can learn to play with better leverage. Well, that's what Aaron Cromer is being brought in to do is to coach these guys up. He has that track record. They love position versatility. You mentioned that the the fact that he could you know in a pinch play tackle, he can. Uh, play guard, maybe even play center. The, the Bills love players like that. It's why Ryan Bates lasted on this uh, on this roster so long. When he finally got the chance to play, he absolutely shined. So someone like this in the fourth round that could potentially be a contributor in season as a rookie, but more realistically, year two fighting for a starting job with Saffold only being here for the on the one year contract. That's an intriguing possibility. Uh, I, I know that the Bills do already have some talent on their offensive line in terms of their starting unit, but they do have to build up that depth. I, I still think that uh, swing tackle is something that they might be looking at in, in terms of round three. Petit, uh, Freer Petit out of Ohio State is someone that, that I think could be there round four-ish. Maybe he's more of a late round uh, day two kind of guy, uh, but he's someone that I like a lot because – you know, one, you never want to see one of your tackles go down in game. Uh, but if that were to happen, you, you bring in someone that has a lot of experience playing at Ohio State. You have someone that if they stay healthy, you can use as that swing tackle. I know the Bills went back to back with tackles in, in last year's draft. Um, but we had we had questions about Tommy Doyle in terms of how ready he was to play in the NFL. And listen, when they brought him out as the extra lineman, he was fine. He, you know, and he caught a touchdown pass uh, in a game later in the season. So he was kind of used it with some creativity. But if one of your tackles went down, Matt, if Deion Dawkins or Spencer Brown went down based on what we've seen from him so far, how much confidence do you have in Tommy Doyle? I don't know. I mean, to me, Tommy Doyle is a lot like Boogie Basham. I mean, uh, can you sit here right now and say that you have a lot of confidence in them? No, but I also think they're probably going to look like two completely different football players with a complete off season to get themselves ready. There's obviously something they saw in him enough to draft them, but to your point, okay. But with all that said, to your point at this time right now with what we have to go off of, no, you can't have a lot of confidence. In him. So you're right. Talk me into it. Go ahead. <laughs> no. So, you know, even, even that's in play. I think that the bills that they're not going to, you know, position themselves into one specific spot on the O-line in this draft. I, obviously, guard makes a lot of sense based on what we've already talked about. Saffold, one-year deal. Ryan Bates, yes, they matched his deal. It's four years, but there's still limited tape on him. They obviously know what they have in him. He's been on this roster for a while. Uh, Mitch Morris, he's stayed healthy. He's been great, but you just never know. The concussion history and then tackle is just so important in today's game. You can make a case for that, too. So I do think they attack the offensive line in this draft. I wouldn't be shocked if they if they keep all their picks, if they go back-to-back O-line. That doesn't mean both are going to be guards, both are, you know, like they did last year with back-to-back tackles. But I wouldn't be shocked if at some point in this draft class they take back-to-back linemen to, to, to have Aaron Cromer develop, bring along, 
and hopefully, you know, at least have as a depth option down the road, but maybe even fight for a starting job in due time. I had the Bills go Tyler Beatty, uh, Batty, uh, Missouri running back in the sixth round. Uh, I liked his his uh, scouting report and kind of gave me J.D. McKissick vibes. Four four five forty yard dash, which actually was a little bit faster than McKissick ran it uh, when he came out a few years ago. There's a couple guys if you if you, if you bring up the running back power rankings, uh, Pierre strong out of South Dakota state. He ran a four, three, seven. That's who you like. I love Pierre strong. Yep. I, I think that he is going to be a potential day three steal for a team. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that he really has the potential to be a, a factor in the NFL right out of the gate. I'm trying to think of who said it. Someone actually compared him to LaShawn McCoy a little bit um, oh, wow. in one of the podcasts. Yeah, and, and mind you, those are gigantic shoes to fill, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but th- there's some similarities between their game, absolutely. And if he reaches his ceiling, then maybe that conversation we had, th- those are lofty expectations. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a Pierre Strong guy. Uh, he's someone I would, I wouldn't mind to see the bills take on day three of the draft. I still like what we saw out of Devin Singletary late in the year. Duke Johnson, uh, can be that receiving option, even though he didn't do that much in Miami last year, he has a history of it. But if you're looking for someone that can, can be that compliment to Singletary and maybe even fight potentially down the road for that number one job, I think Pierre Strong is the guy, uh, but there's nothing wrong with Tyler Batty either. Yeah, and if you look at uh, Breeze Hall and Kenneth Walker at the top of most, you know, uh, running back rankings, uh, they both ran sub 440, uh, 40-yard dash, 438 for Walker, 439 for Breeze Hall. I'm looking at uh, the top 20 rankings for uh, Dane Brugler uh, over on his The Beast on The Athletic. The only other running back to run a sub 440 was Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State. So in this scenario, the Bills took Batty in the sixth round at pick number 185. In this mock, I remember specific, specifically Strong being gone in the fifth round. And so this is a guy that maybe he ends up really ra- like rocketing up people's uh, draft boards. Uh, you know, Because speed, that's, that's the thing. Offenses across the league want to add speed. And you're talking about three running backs in this class with that kind of speed uh, that, you know, I'm looking at it here. The only other running back with a draftable round grade. And we're talking about a first through seventh round grade that ran a sub 430 or 440, 40 yard dash. You got Devontae Price out of FIU, uh, Florida International, which. Uh, Devin Singletary. Uh, they can get the band back together, if you will. I'd, I'd be interested to look and see if they actually play together. I don't know. Ty Chandler out of North Carolina. Um, and then the the last person with a draftable grade, Rutgers, 437, Isaiah Pacheco. Pacheco. Um, man, we're going to be some. This is another thing. <laughs> every every draft, and, and I'm not talking about like uh, the NFL should put out like a a draft guide that has like all the, the phonetic spellings for everybody's name. So we don't butcher these things. Uh, Cause I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody kept calling Gregory Rousseau uh, Rasu 
like all throughout draft <laughs> season last year. And it just drove me up a wall, but it's like, Hey, if you never heard it said, right. It's, it's hard to blame them. So no, I think running back late uh, is going to be interesting depending on, you know, maybe some of these top running backs, maybe the, no running back goes in the first round. And then if you're the bills, maybe you trade up and you have to give up a future first to get sauce Gardner. Maybe you want to trade up again to get a running back in the second round. Maybe that's the way that you want to go. I don't know. So many different options uh, in this mock draft. I also gave the Bills at pick 203 in round six, Cade Mays, uh, interior offensive lineman out of Tennessee. And then in round seven, pick 231, Jordan Stout, punter out of Penn State. Uh, the punt god did not uh, make it. Uh, the Bills couldn't pull off what I think most Bills fans are hoping to see. Let me ask you this. The Bills, the draft's over. The Bills don't draft the punt god, uh, Matt Ariza. Uh, Thoughts? Are you uh, you think that's a, a big mistake? You think they should prioritize that, or is it something that at the end of the day it's a punter? Uh, you don't prioritize the punters. You know, I know that or the punt god has a lot of hype going to this draft. I like him a lot. Do not get me wrong, but I think Jordan Stout, who you have in round seven, uh, might be a better fit for Buffalo in terms of kicking in, in similar conditions. Someone that is really good on touchbacks. I think he might be better in terms of touchback percentage than Matariza. So someone, and that's what the Bills want. They want field position. It's great if you can boot a ball 55 yards, 60 yards. And we saw that at times with Corey Bajorquez, if, you know, back when he was in Buffalo, we all saw a lot of them go off the side of his foot for very uh, inconsistent kicks. But they want the guy that can down it within the 10-yard line, within the 15-yard line. And I think that's what Jordan Stout brings you. I'm sure Bills fans are thrilled to hear some punch <laughs> dog. No, actually, I think they are because I, I think that many of them are concerned about Matt Hawk and, and him still being here at the end of the day, though, the, the bills do need to have an option in terms of who's going to hold the ball for Tyler Bass. If they draft a punt God, or if they draft a Jordan Stout, can either of them do it? Is it going to be one of your backup quarterbacks? Who's going to be doing that? Because that's the one reason why Hawk, in my opinion, was never really at risk of losing his job last year. They said, well, listen, we're going to put up with the inconsistent punting because Tyler Bass is so good with him holding the ball. Uh, something to be said there uh, in terms of, you know, one more thing. You mentioned the pronunciation of, of prospect names. Kudos to the Bills. I'm sure most teams do this, but they always put out those player cards when when a player gets drafted or signed. And they usually has pronunciation on it somewhere at some point. But whenever the Bills draft a player, sign a player, first thing I do is I go to YouTube, Matt, and I pull up that person's name. And I try to find like a few videos of someone interviewing the guy so I can hear the name and, and make sure that I'm not getting it wrong either. But, yeah. That's that's the toughest part of when you have these new players coming into the building. All right, there it is. My first mock draft. Are, are you doing when's your next seven rounder? I am going to try to get one out toward the end of this week. If not okay. early of early week of the actual draft, I might save it for then, obviously, because there's going to be more information that comes out. It's been just a crazy off season as, as is. But yeah, there's definitely going to be at least one more that comes out. Uh, between now and the draft, maybe two of all things go well. So at the very least, Ryan Talbot and I will give you two more seven-round Bills mock drafts uh, before draft night. We'll have a ton of coverage. I want to take a deep dive, I think, this week on the cornerback class. I spent a lot of time in Indianapolis focused on that. 
Uh, and I've been kind of waiting to write about it because I wanted to, you know, I wanted this to kind of develop a little bit. You know, the you, you really get a sense for the the class and the and the and a position group as you get closer to the draft. So that's something that I think I'm going to be spending a lot of time on this week. We'll be back on Wednesday night. Uh, may have a guest. I don't know yet, uh, but we'll we'll bring you the latest and greatest on the Bills. Uh, we still got to dive into the massive re-signing of Bobby Hart that we didn't cover on this podcast. So I'm sorry, guys. We really let you down. Additionally, my DMs are open on Twitter. Uh, if you didn't know that, uh, they are. If you ever need to get a hold of me, if you have a question, uh, comment, want to talk bills, whatever it is, hit me with your best uh, gas grill take. Uh, I'm looking for – I, I got I to gotta get a new grill. And I want to know, like, listen, some people are throwing out uh, some crazy stuff at me right now. I tweeted out about it. Somebody suggested a $1,500 grill. Listen, I make a decent hot dog. I make a decent burger and sausage steak. All right. I'm not spending $1,500 on a grill. I'm not that good. Okay. That's, that's just the bottom line of it. You know, I, I don't need to go bottom of the barrel here. But I, I want a, a good, decent grill. A lot of people with real um, fire around the Weber grill. I, I get it. People are passionate about it. I just know I'm on the fence. I don't know if I'm going to go all the way in because I, I'm just not that passionate about it. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, no, I, I get it. I understand it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the kind that we have right now. It's it's kind of middle tier, um, more of a you know flat top on it that you can also do if you want to be outside you can you can do uh, not your traditional grilling but you could also do like breakfast stuff on it it's kind of okay. has like a griddle top on it gotcha. uh, those are becoming very popular as well so but send me a picture of it maybe i'll right. maybe i'll take a look at it all right we'll do so I'll, right. I'll keep you in the loop on that yeah all right um well i gotta get grilling this week i feel like the when the weather turns it's almost and well turns. I came back and it's like hailing today. So mm. I mean, I guess how much does it turn? But it's like I just want to want to get out there and start uh, grilling it up. We did we grilled at my a couple of days ago uh, at, at a family function, and it just it feels good, right? When you get out there for the first first time of the year, put on some sausages, you put on some burgers, get the cheese melted on there just right, fire up some Salem's hot dogs. That's right, I said Salem's hot dogs. Get out of here with all that other stuff. Oh, I'd be, What's your hot dog of choice, actually, Ryan? We never discussed. No, that, that is actually my hot okay. dog of choice. So yeah. Okay. So what are the what are, what are the other uh, um, what's the one? Uh, Warzinski's. Yeah, those, those aren't bad though. I mean, it, I don't mind them, but no, that okay. that is my go-to though. Okay, I gotta look it up because people get in my Zweigels. That's what everybody talks to me about. Oh, we got to do Zweigels. We got to do Zweigels. No. Zweigels. I had a Zweigel. I had a white hot and a mm-hmm. regular Zweigel hot dog. I'm not going to go as far as to say that they're trash. Because, listen, we're talking about hot dogs at the end of the day. <laughs> Come on. Like, yeah, we're, we're, listen, I don't want to talk too much about hot dogs because we might not be super enthused <laughs> about hot dogs for the summer. But not a fan of Zweigels. Anyway, I digress. Um, Scott asks, are we doing a special invite limited attendance draft Zoom night like last year? Buy the shout shirts as a giveaway this year. Ooh, that sounds good. If you're into a, a special Zoom for the draft, how about we, uh, we we set that up in the new community, Ryan, and, and get people's it. interest. Maybe they will do that. All right. Hit that like button. Subscribe as well before you leave. We'll be back on Wednesday. Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. See you next time, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.